As you ought to remember, I am activated by world war, pandemic, revolt of dwarves. Or the mass rising of the dead. Yeah, we know we're already on it. Huzzah! And I have summoned all of you because the current ruler is the nitwit causing the problem. The thing is, he's sort of unkillable. I rescind my huzzah. In addition to being just very creepy, the dead drain life, contaminating everything they touch like a pickle. You're gonna do another pickleback? I like pickles. Behold! Yeah, okay. A dead person wriggling from their grave. <laughs> and this is every Felorian who has ever lived. <laughs> you see, the pickles of the dead will ruin Fillory. <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Physical Kids Weekly. I'm Clara. And I'm Danny. <laughs> and today we're talking about episode 511, Be the Hymen, and we have three lovely guests with us to do that. You know our first guest is Fenn. It is the delightfully Disney Brittany Curran. Welcome, Brittany. <laughs> what an entrance. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> we're also joined by the bear-obsessed David Reed, who directed... <laughs> And co-wrote this episode. Welcome back, David. Thank you for having me. And our last but not least guest is the other half of that writing duo, who you also know as the voice of the Felorian Messenger Rabbits. It's Mike Moore. Hi, Mike. Hi, guys. <laughs> I feel like we should mention that we have um, a silent fourth guest, sixth podcaster in this episode, which is much alcohol. So ah. <laughs> <laughs> we're a little sillier than usual. You know why? <laughs> Quarantine edition. <laughs> oh my. Yeah. I, uh, hearing that joke about, uh, Ember, Ember is summoned by a pandemic. I kind of feel like we deserve that right now. Like if we're going to have a pandemic, we should at least get an energetic emanation of Ember. Oh, I also want to point out that David and Mike wrote this episode and might have caused all of this, mm. but I don't know. That's just like a weird <laughs> I'm with you. Let's blame mine. them. It's a coincidence. <laughs> hey. uh, well, if that's the case, then the physical kids are out there somewhere trying to fix it. Ah, <laughs> uh, it's very... Well... Wouldn't it be the healing students? Shut up, Mike. Shouldn't it be the healing students? <laughs> Somebody get the fucking healing students. <laughs> we should swear, right? Swearing's allowed? Yes, swearing Not is encouraged. <laughs> um, all right. Well, since we've had you all on the podcast before, we're going to dive into the episode pretty quickly, and we'll, we'll sprinkle some fun questions throughout, don't worry. Uh, and that means it is time for my executive summary. Ember invites Margot, Elliot, Fenn, and Josh to a pickle party, where Umber tells them that he created an Ark, a pocket world that our heroes can use to destroy Fillory without destroying the Felorians. With some help from Hyman, they grab the Ark from Ember's house on Earth, while Alice and Katie plot to retrieve the world seed from the couple so they can build a new world where all the Felorians can eventually live. Along the way, they encounter Marina, who's had the magical equivalent of, like, a partial lobotomy, and convince her to help them. And back at break bills, Julia tries to translate Q's page while Penny frets over how their hybrid baby will affect her. And I think that just about covers it. So, Danny, what'd you think of the episode? Well, can I just point out that first off, that Margo summarizing, like, what's been going on to Josh felt a lot like how we break down the stories in our podcast. <laughs> well, I like that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I found that to be quite hilarious but I thought this episode was great though there's a lot going on and it felt like a really long episode in like the best way especially since I'm not wanting to say goodbye to this show 
So there's so much that happens. I love the character of Hyman. He seems like he's a lot of fun to write. I think one of my favorite parts is when he... (laughs) Yes. I think one of my favorite parts is when he exclaims, whore, when he touches the flame. That was totally improvised, by the way. <laughs> well, that, was, that was the best hour of my life. <laughs> I just want to preface that with it. Um, I think it was the night before we shot that scene. Dave and I were at the production office uh, fixing a completely different part of the script. Um, when I was working on it and he just runs in and goes, Hey, so give me the script for a couple minutes. I need to write this thing. And he just wrote like a small little bit about like, Hyman goes around touching things and a fun little montage. <laughs> Fingering things, And very it important. turned into easily the most delightful part, I think, of the whole episode. It was so much fun. I mean, it's so delightful that when Universal sends me the episodes, I tend to watch them first by only watching my scenes. And this time, I also watched that montage as well. (laughs) So much character was just revealed. (laughs) There's a lot to unpack there. (laughs) That's for my therapist to do. That was the most fun uh, sequence of the episode to shoot, for sure. Because it was the most, um, it, it was the loosest. Like there, because there's no dialogue. It's just Dustin. It was like me and Mike and uh, Corey, our DP, like running around the set, being like, "What could he touch? Like, oh, what's this like old <laughs> creature on the wall? Like, could he smell that? I could like he that he it? smelled he... his fingers too, because that's such a dude thing to do. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that was this probably fun. stinks. Let me stick my fingers in my face. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Dust, Dustin Ingram, who plays Hyman, is a freaking amazing. He's so funny and so oh, yeah. wonderful to work with. I, David, uh, who directed the episode, definitely likes him way more than me. And I definitely am not insecure about it at all. I'm not jealous. I'm perfectly healthy mindset about it. I just want to point that out. Well. <laughs> I feel like the tweets reveal otherwise. <laughs> oh shit! I uh, I do. I will say that Dustin, like we have a, a couple of recurring guest stars on the show who we really, really love. So one of the things that Mike and I tried to do from the beginning of this episode was just figure out how we could get them all to come to Vancouver <laughs> to shoot this episode with us. Because we're like, well, we we know that we're going to be there. We know we're going to, you know, this is going to be an intense several weeks for us. Why not spend it with our friends? And so a lot of this episode was just like writing stuff so that we would then get to spend set time with the people that we really liked. Well, that sounds lovely. And now I think you all need to shut up so that Danny can say what she loved about Britney. Oh, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Back to the storyline. So (laughs) I love seeing him relate to to Fen as well. Yeah, Hyman. Hyman. (laughs) <laughs> he, I feel like he understood her so easily and I really liked that and I also love seeing Fen stand up for herself it seems very necessary at this point and I'm surprised that it didn't happen sooner and also Marina is back what yes about you, 
Uh, I loved this episode, and honestly, I, I knew I would even before we saw it, because the title got released, like, way back when, and it was Be the Hyman, and so I was like, okay, Hyman's gonna be in this episode, it's gonna be great. Um, I love seeing him be a fish out of water in the 21st century, I love that we finally get some more depth to his character, which we did um, in, was it 309 was the other episode this season, um, mm-hmm. and I really love that conversation between him and Penny at the end of the episode for that. Beyond Hyman, though... I agree with everything you said, like, uh, about uh, all of the other sort of character arcs. It's exciting to get Marina back, even if she is partially lobotomized in this episode, even if she's not her, like, normal self. And it was just a generally solid episode. Like, the plot moved along at exactly the right pace. There's a good mix of comedy and drama, and the storylines felt really balanced. But... Like you, or I don't know if this is like you, but I'm agreeing with you that I really liked seeing Fen standing up for herself. And that was, I think, my favorite part of this whole episode because she has come so far since we met her. Uh, I mean, we met the Brittany Fen in season two and we saw, like, out of the corner of her eye, the other Fen at the end of season one. Um, and Garbage Brittany- Fen. i thought we'd start by asking just how do you feel about her journey and was it exciting for you to get to play a more assertive version of her in this episode i have absolutely loved fen's journey yeah when i you know when i first came on the show i didn't i was i was a recurring guest star and uh i had always played bitches a lot and so it was really weird for me coming on and playing a nice human being (laughs) and i didn't think i was going to get it honestly because i just was not used to playing like nice wholesome human beings and so, yeah, I mean, being able to play this character who is, like, so sweet and naive and wholesome, like, to the point that it was detrimental to herself. Um, like, I mean, there was times earlier on in the in the show where I'd be like, damn it, Finn, like, stick up for yourself. Or, like, why does uh, you keep letting people treat you like crap? And I would get so connected to her because, you know, you get connected to these characters. Um, I mean, I get connected to characters of shows that I watch I have nothing to do with. So this person that I'm trying to live in their brain for so long, I, uh, I got extra connected to her. So I would get, like, so indignant privately about things <laughs> that happened to her, um, which is good. That means the writing's good, and it means that you're they're creating, you know, real human beings that you actually care about. And so this season, and especially this episode, when Fen actually stuck up for herself, and it wasn't just out of nowhere, you know what I mean? It wasn't just like, yeah. oh, Fen randomly gets empowered, because that's no, not necessarily how, how life works, you know? I feel like it's been building. And so when I when I saw that, when I saw, like, especially the moment that she stands up to Margot, yeah, that's this episode, oh my God. I was like, what episode <laughs> am I talking about? <laughs> Do you just see me panic? Um, <laughs> so worried about spoilers. Um, but... I was, I was like, I was personally so happy. And I remember talking to David about it on the day, the the scene where we have all the, the pocket worlds and Fen is like, I did it. I was brave. And, but before that she has to stand up to Margot and be like, well, to Margot and everybody and say, you know what, do it yourself. And do you remember this, David, where I came up to you and I was like, I'm actually nervous about doing this and I'm actually nervous about like standing up to Margot and to these other fictional characters and um but it still felt really good and then David you know is I was just like shut up and say the word dance and read my words I was just about to compliment you as a director but you know what oh, never mind I take it back I take it back <laughs> <laughs> 
But yeah, I know David was so helpful because he was like, yeah, that's that's how Fen would be feeling. And so it made me able to go with it more. But oh my God, if like at the table read, when Fen stands up to Margo and, and says, you figure it out yourself, everybody at the table read cheered. Aww. And in my, my little heart, I was like, people do love Fen. <laughs> <laughs> they do. Which totally doesn't talk to my own personal insecurities and issues that I also have in my life. <laughs> More wine. <laughs> wine. Cheers to that. Cheers to that. Oh, sorry. I just got a reminder that it's St. Patrick's Day tomorrow. I don't think anyone's going to be pinching anyone. But <laughs> <laughs> Can you pinch from three to six feet away? No. <laughs> you get one of those, nope. like, grabby things. Yes! <laughs> what are yes. you talking about? Am I the worst well, like, Irish person? grabby thing? What are you talking about? You know, like... Someone. When you go to SeaWorld and there'd be like a Shamu on a stick and you'd like squeeze the trigger and Shamu's head would go jumpy, jumpy, jumpy. I love how like, I'm talking to Brittany. I should talk about an amusement park. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, I was in a SeaWorld commercial in 2007. <laughs> it's a long time ago. It was a long time ago. <laughs> All right, back to the show. Uh, <laughs> has made a lot of growth. Um <laughs> But anyways, that was God, Mike, nice by the way, second. that sound. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can't tell his, his average voice really blends into the crowd. That was Mike. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I've noticed that, oh God, I'm going to be nice and I'm going to hate it. Um, a lot of David and Mike's episodes have been a lot of my favorites and I love their writing. And when they teamed up and wrote this episode together, and especially with David directing, um, I really, ugh, God, this is so uncomfortable. I'm usually such so mean to them. <laughs> um, I really, like, they made me like Fenn was really seen. And I felt like they wrote things that I wanted Fenn to say for a really long time. And I feel like that them in particular really understood it. I'm also good friends with them in real life, so I'm sure that didn't hurt. But, um, like, having, having this episode, especially knowing that the show's over now and having, like, Fenn have... All of these moments meant so much to me, and I'm very glad that that David and Mike were the ones that did it. So that <laughs> transitions well into the next question. In a lot of ways, the shift we see in her in this episode feels like the show beginning to close the circle on her arc. Sarah and John talked about trying to make the end of the season work as an end to the series. How much of your approach to Fenn and her arc in this episode was about that? Right around this moment, breaking the story, is when we were like, we really, really need to make sure that we leave it all kind of on the field. Mm -hmm. Didn't want to, didn't want to have the regret of like, oh, if this is the end of the show, are there characters, are there stories that we've been setting up for a very long time that we didn't get to and that we didn't, um, like you said, you know, sort of close the loop on? I think Fen. Um, you know, well, obviously, Brittany ruins it constantly. <laughs> no, Brittany is great. We love Brittany. It's one of those characters that didn't need to be in the show. You know, like, real, like for real, you could have just kind of written your way out of Elliot having this wife in Fillory if we didn't like the character. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially, you know, if we didn't love Brittany as a performer. And so we felt like after in season three giving Margot you know, this moment where she became the high king. And then, in, like, we've, we've just, we've spent a lot of this series kind of elevating people to new heights um, that, that their characters didn't think that they were capable of. And it felt like Fen needed that now because we didn't want to end the series with her just being 
you know, Elliot sort of put upon wife who is like clearly not what he's interested in sexually. And so she's just, you know, is she there for comic relief or is she there to tell a real human story? And obviously we wanted to tell a real human story. Uh, and then we knew in particular that this kind of thing was something that Brittany would really nail. And I'm gagging just as much as she was. I don't want to compliment her. I don't want to encourage her. You know, she just, she lives off of our attention, so we can't give it to her. Go on, David. No, she did a good job. And I was really excited. like an excited. emotional vampire. I was really excited to get to direct this episode because we've spent so much time together on set before, but um, to really get to like hunker down and figure all this stuff out and to get to leave Fenn in this place where she is empowered. I, I just want to do a, a very brief aside and say that Brittany is the actor on the show who will send us the longest emails uh, <laughs> when there's something that she has a note on. If there's a moment in the script that she doesn't feel like is quite right for Fenn, she'll send us, like, at the beginning of the season, I oh, wrote a line in episode 502 that said that she was the acting High King, and she sent me a, like, five-page long email, including <laughs> all of these historical sources for why she really was just the High King, not the acting High King. And the change was literally, I deleted one word, uh, but she cares clearly about the character a lot, and so do we, and so we wanted to kind of land her in a good place. And, I mean, then if you, you'll, you know, in episode 512. Um, take, <laughs> you'll really pay me back, David. Part, but anyway, you'll see. You'll see. You'll see. Aw, David, if I weren't quarantined in two cities over from you, I'd give you a hug right now. <laughs> two cities and, like, six miles. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I say two cities, but we're actually quite close. There's, like, a billion people between you two. That's true. A, a billion? Don't, Mike's not good at math. Don't. No, that's why he's a writer. <laughs> Don't try to correct him. Mike's also not good at words, but it's weird. Great at punctuation. <laughs> so, moving away from Fenn, sorry, she's wonderful, but, uh, or at least broader than Fenn, I really like the dynamic that Margot, Elliot, Josh, and Fenn have together. Because, right, like, Margot and Elliot are both these really big personalities, and Josh and Fenn tend to be more in, like, they tend to take on these supportive roles, like, you know, baking for their partners and cheering them on. But it becomes really clear that Margot and Elliot, as fun as they are, are also really domineering, and that isn't always a good thing. And Danny, you said something like that in your notes. Can I get you to elaborate on that a little bit? Oh, you mean when I said that I love them, but they're both fucking assholes sometimes? That's the one. Aw, that's how I feel about Mike and David. <laughs> I mean, I love I love them. They are assholes. Um, but I mean, that's just them as characters. That's always been them. And Fen isn't the first person that they've treated as stupid or less than them. No. Margot, more often than Elliot, he's definitely guilty of it as well. And there are times when I struggle to love Margot because of it. That is only because I'll see people called Julia or Alice, like a selfish bitch, and then like they shamelessly love Margot and she can do no wrong. <laughs> and and they have nothing to say say ne negatively about her. I do love Margot though, don't get me wrong, and Elliot. I truly love all of the main characters. A side, no a side note about that foursome, though, is that they very much remind me of the four reigning kings and queens of Fillory in the books after Quentin and Julia get replaced. Oh, yeah, that's really interesting. That's a, a... Hmm. 
I agree with you about like people, the, the way that people sort of feel about Margot versus the way people feel about Julia or Alice. And I find it so interesting because I, what I love about all these characters is that none of them is pure good and none of them is pure evil, right? Like they're all pretty nuanced yep. characters. And you're right that like Fen is not the first person that they've treated as stupid or less than them, though they have maybe done it most persistently and longest with her. But yeah, I I really enjoy their dynamic in this episode in part because I think when you have both Josh and Fen in a room and when like they they need Fen to fix to solve this, right? Like there's no way they could do it without Fen. It really becomes crystal clear that um it, it's not just funny, right? Like that it does it can be hurtful as well and can be it's not just like cute sass. Um, so I really enjoyed seeing that dynamic in this episode because of that. I, I totally agree. And I also think a good lesson to it, like on Fen's side of things is also taking personal responsibility mm. for And obviously it never justifies somebody treating somebody else insultingly, but like also for Fen, like taking the personal responsibility of actually sticking up for herself. Yeah. Cause it's easy to be like, Oh, you know, this, these people are like, you know, treating me poorly or treating me like an idiot. But, like, I don't think it's a coincidence that when Fen started sticking up for herself more and started demanding more respect, that that's when she got yeah. more, respect, more respect, you know? And that's—it was important for her to do that. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, she she gets railroaded so much, but she also has been so accommodating, right? Like, her reaction previously when uh, Elliot or Margot would be a jerk to her would be to just try to please them more. In a lot of ways. Yeah. Gosh, I, I'm so not like that in real life. It's so weird how I don't <laughs> identify with looking for validation. <laughs> oh, I just don't know what that feels like, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so the the other, like, big dynamic for me in this episode was Alice, Katie, and Marina. And Danny, I, I know you have to have thoughts about their storyline. And just, I want to hear your reactions when Marina came at Callus with those cookies. I love those scenes. <laughs> well, I love Callis, and we're being so well-fed this season. <laughs> <laughs> I will always be a big fan of Wickoff, but, like, at this point in the game, these two seem like a more likely option. And if you don't know what Callis is, it is Katie and Alice. Um, they have the heathens. Name, by the way. <laughs> yes. <laughs> They have a really good chemistry, and I've just been liking seeing them together. But also seeing Marina, like, this was, like, really weird and crazy, but I loved it. And I'm actually (laughs) really happy that our assumptions that Marina was a part of the couple were wrong. And this storyline is just so much better than that would have been. Say a little bit more about that. Like, what do you think makes the storyline richer for her not being part of the couple? I cannot say that without... Spoiling the next episode. Okay, so, so I'll ask you that. next week. <laughs> next week. <laughs> yeah. I agree with you. I really like Callus too. But while you were talking and while, Brittany, you said the thing about it being such a good ship name, I remember Danny and I both had the thought for like two minutes that Hyman and Fen would make a really like cool ship if he grew the fuck up. Um, and I just decided <laughs> that the ship name for that is Hyphen. Oh, damn it. <laughs> You're not gonna. You're not gonna necessarily see Hyman and Fen together in uh, in the series. But what I will tell you is that there was a card on our board for an entire year that says (laughs) 
fan fucks Hyman, the hundred year old virgin. <laughs> oh, that would have been so good. Though. And when I not so discreetly, apparently all the actors thought we were being discreet going in and looking at all the cards and I don't know, taking pictures of them discreetly. But you know, we're not employed anymore, so it doesn't matter that I'm saying this out loud. Um, that particular card really got me excited, and uh, yeah, and then it didn't, and then you ruined we, it. We didn't quite have time to get there, but Aww. you know what? Fair enough. Fiction writers, start your engines. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad though. Like my scenes with Hyman were so fun and so lovely. And uh, again, like I just, I actually Dustin Ingram, who who plays Hyman, I actually have known him since I was 13 years old. Oh, really? Very, very randomly, we met through a friend of ours at like a pool party in 2013. <laughs> and um, <laughs> and so when he came on the show at the table, where he's like, Brittany, hey," and I was like, "Hi," and he goes. Dustin Ingram, and I was like, Dusty? And he said, no one's called that in 10 years. And then I, we, we hadn't seen each other in forever, but we had been friends when we were very young teenagers. And uh, and yeah, and it was so fun. Our, I really, really loved our scenes together. Any scene with Aww. Dustin is such a joy. He's delightful. Did you know that he has a full-scale replica of the Harry Potter mandrake on his wall? What? Well, I didn't think I could like him anymore, but I've been proven wrong, apparently. <laughs> really? He does. I'll send, I'll send you a picture afterward. <laughs> you know, I almost wore my Gryffindor sweater to this interview, but I, uh, it, shrunk, it shrunk in the wash. It has nothing to do with hiatus. Aww. It's the shrinking of the machine. <laughs> David, it makes me uncomfortable. The mic's not loud anymore, but go on. <laughs> I think it's because we teased him about it earlier. <laughs> I'm staying cool and collected. It's okay. <laughs> Just me and my pickle juice. Oh, oh so no, gross. they're both drinking pickle juice. What are they doing? <laughs> <laughs> the dead are invading their bodies. Uh, <laughs> Too late. They already have. <laughs> At least our souls. <laughs> um, Next question. Yeah, so David and Mike, why are you going to do <laughs> Marina dirty like you did? I mean, okay, I'm kidding a little bit, but, like, the more serious version of that question that I really want to ask is where this, like, magical lobotomy thing comes from for Marina. Because she's done terrible things so many times before. Why is this the thing that puts her over the edge? And, side question, would Marina Forty have done the same thing? I don't think Marina Forty would have done the thing because um, Marina 23 has learned. She's already steps ahead of where Marina 40 was at. Hmm. Like, but like the reason she did what she did is full on genuine love, I think. Hmm. Like, and love and also fear. Like, she has that uh, love for Anna that's like, the, I've never felt this before, and I will do literally anything to let it from, uh, let it slip away. Um, even lie about myself, hmm. which is, you know, it's something that anybody who has dated might have done in their past. You know, character like, revealing statement. <laughs> yeah, like when you're dating, you're like giving the best version of yourself you can put forward. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's like yeah, you're not you're not being just. You're holding in your farts for a year. Yeah. Not me. Exactly. In Marina's case, farts were also sociopathic tendencies. (laughs) So, like, (laughs) right sentence, Mike. (laughs) Um, Remember, 
Not high. <laughs> like the shirt says, for the people who only hear and don't see it. <laughs> um, but yeah, for Marina, it was a it was a belief that like I love this woman so much, and if she finds out who I really or she already knew who I really am, um, I need to change myself to get back with her. Um, and like ultimately, that's not healthy, but it got the job done in the short term. Not true. <laughs> We're not in that. We never claim to be an aspirational show. <laughs> no. Does any show? <laughs> that would be boring. <laughs> well, Brittany, I know that you, Jade, and Olivia are all pretty close. How do you feel about the callous dynamic? Look, I like to call it Facalis. <laughs> Oh, I was trying to work myself in there really hard. Well, um, it worked a little more than you thought, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I I absolutely love it. Um, I love their dynamic together, both in real life and on the show. And I feel like they're both. I, I love seeing their dynamic together, especially because, like you know, uh, Alice is so academic and. Other than, of course, when she was a Niffin, is like very by the book and is very studious. And and Katie obviously had a very different path and was a hedge. And so they have these two incredibly different backgrounds and incredibly different um, reasons for why. Well, not really. I was going to say reasons why they became magicians, but also not. They initially became magicians to save people that they loved. You know, like Katie's Katie with her mom and Alice with her brother. And so I feel like opposites attract but also mm-hmm. like at the end of the day they both had things that were very similar and very important to them very similarly important to them and so i i love their dynamic together and i love i love seeing i love cal and i just like the word callus i love a good ship name mm-hmm. um yeah but i'm totally again totally not jealous at all 100 percent secure actress over here people <laughs> wait I love on, you love the word callus yeah, I'm trying no, to regrow well, my calluses on my fingers. Sorry, for, uh, I like the word callus when it's word used in a way that's not the actual meaning of it. I like that. That's yeah, it's a different kind of callus. So you're saying you like you don't actually like the word callus? You like the sound callus? No, Mike, I like it. God, I mean, sometimes callus. What if you're a you know a construction worker? They are actually useful, or a or guitar a player, perhaps, yeah. or a cellist. <laughs> Why am I talking about this? Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I really, I really love their dynamic, and I love seeing the girl, the girls teaming up. And I was really also mm-hmm. happy that because uh, we're also really good friends with uh, with Stella in real life, and it was fun to see to see Fen and um, Julia team up again too. That was sweet. Girl power. <laughs> <laughs> well, I find it really interesting that Katie is the one that Alice is relying on because I, I would originally I would have figured it would be. Julia, because I think partly because they have the like Quentin bond, and early in the season there was a lot of like really cool Alice Julia stuff going on. But with Julia very pregnant in this episode, she's she's kind of preoccupied, and I ended up really just loving the way that Katie and Alice work together. There's a lot of ways I think that they're alike, um, but like Katie is a little bit more overtly emotional and impulsive, um, and I think that they balance each other well because that sort of forces Alice to be a little less perfectionistic. Yeah. And I know we got a taste of their dynamic in the last episode too, but yeah, writer people. Um, yeah. What, like, how do you feel about their dynamic? What do you think about them together? What were you thinking going into this 
you know, what kind of fireworks were you looking for? I think at the beginning of the show, they were maybe the two most opposite characters, mm. um, like ideologically and in terms of the just the way that they operated in the show. Alice is such like a straight and narrow, and Katie is, uh, you know, crazy. And, <laughs> and just, you know, Alice is like very rule abiding, and Katie is the hedge witch. And I think that over the course of the show, we've revealed more and more that they are actually very, very similar. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that kind of builds, you know, over the course of seasons to the point where they actually are just really good friends and they've sacrificed yeah. a lot for each other. And specifically this season, you know, with this stuff with the couple and the fingers and all of that, uh, it got very dark and they really have each other's backs. And so, you know, one of the exercises that we do is just kind of mashing the different Barbie dolls together a little bit to see who is going to have the most interesting, you know, play within the story. And in this one, it just felt right that dealing with Marina, um, obviously Mm. Katie has crazy history with Marina. And so she's going to bring all of that baggage to it. And then, you know, Alice is the one who's like really kind of driving the story. And so just that combo... Um, long Sarah, Sarah was the one who actually came in with the idea of what if Marina had this sort of, you know, 180 degree shift in personality when we saw her. Mm. And part of it was just like Casey Roll is a race car and you want to uh-huh. you want to use that as She's much awesome. as you can. She's just such a phenomenal actress. And so we wanted to kind of, you know, get every bit out of that character that we could. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, obviously the next episode goes even farther with that in ways hint, that hint. audience at home will will see. Uh, and I think you guys already know. <laughs> so we just really thought that that little trio was very interesting. It wasn't even yeah. so much about just the Katie and Alice, so much as the what, to, what does uh, Marina and those two get you? What sparks does that get you? It is. Mm-hmm. I really like what you said about like, treating them as opposites at the beginning and then them sort of coming closer together and you seeing the ways that they're similar. Because one of the things that I feel like I started to get in this episode especially was the way that they're functionally both perfectionists who just respond to failure in completely different ways. Like Alice goes more and more into the perfectionism, whereas Katie's response to perfectionism in the past has just been to be like, fuck it, if I, you know, if I can't, do exactly what, you know, if I can't get everything that I want, if I can't do exactly what it's supposed to do, then I'm just not going to care. And as Katie has, over the seasons, developed a greater sense of sort of moral responsibility, especially around the Hedgewitch storyline, you can see the way that she is learning to take responsibility and keep going um, through the perfectionism and not let that, like, completely derail her. And we also saw, especially last season, the ways that, like, Alice was finally starting to own up to their mistake to her mistakes. And so, right, like this is the perfect moment when they both have like they've come to that center from different parts, different angles. And they they recently had just gone through trauma together. I yes, feel like they're gonna be bonded true. for life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Troll in the dungeon. And I, <laughs> I mean, even though you guys were talking about like the dynamic, it's just like these people are realizing now that, you know, like they are friends, like every single one of them would go to war for each other at this point. Like, and I feel like, like we've really gotten to that point. It's just like, they all just actually care about each other. Yeah. That's really nice. So 
The last piece we should talk about is the Penny and Julia arc. It's so interesting to learn some more about Penny's background. And I think we talked to Arjun about the backstory he imagined for Penny in our very first episode with him. So now we get to see some of that background information filled in. David, how much of that did you and the other writers have in your heads before this episode? And how much was totally new? Uh, It was an area that we had specifically avoided Actually, we had huh. we had tried to not write anything definitive about it. We had tried to keep it vague when he referenced it on screen. We thought this was just something that made the character. I mean, I, you know, I'm sure Sarah. Uh, we all had ideas about what it was, and we talked. We you know pitched on it, but we had made the conscious effort to not ever say anything about it in the series. Huh. Um, and then it felt like this was a moment again, like like with Fen, where it just was you know, smoke them if you got them. Um, if, if we knew that it seemed like we were wrapping things up, this was a huge, huge area um, that we hadn't been able to explore. The specifics of it, uh, which we'll hear more about in next week's episode, it, it really was not exactly what we had pitched on originally because the, the details of it came so much out of this season. Um, and Julia's story and the details of it would not have really made sense uh, in past seasons. Can you uh, say what it was? Can we say what it, you mean what it was before? Yeah. yeah. It was just, it was much more, it, it was vague. It was just like, okay, well, mm-hmm. obviously, you know, he went from foster home to foster home and his mother was not great and his dad was not in the picture from the beginning. That was sort of the amount of detail that we had. Okay, cool. And um, so this was just kind of filling in uh, a few of those areas. And again, you know, some of this is, is we, we discussed more in, in episode 512. Uh, but that was something that we knew we didn't want to end the series not having explored. I love that Penny twist, by the way. That mm-hmm. was perfect. And it like it made so much sense. Yeah. Especially tied in with Julia yeah. and her situation. I really loved how you guys uh, like closed that up. That was really cool. Yeah, it comes out so organically. Yeah. The, the problem with, uh, with trying to figure out characters' backstories in TV is that you never want to give so much detail that you feel like you're taking away story in the future. And this is a case where it really did help us that we had been vague uh, for seasons and seasons and seasons about it because we could kind of paint it in as we as the story demanded it. This was the most personal we knew we were ever really going to get with Penny. Mm. Um, you know, he, after years with Katie, had never told her this story. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And I thought that that was really telling, even though he's not with Julia, even though they're not romantically linked right now he feels this connection with her and he feels so deeply concerned for her because of his own history and so this was the right moment to actually tell the story whereas you know it's like katie just never needed to hear it well and i mean i think there's also an interesting dynamic with right like this is this is penny 23 right like penny 40 um had the same childhood presumably since you know it's just the loop that sort of going through and going through but I wonder like did you think at all about whether that dynamic like the way that Penny 23 sort of got a second chance and uh had 
right? Like he had been in love with Julia before in his previous timeline and he fell in love with new, new Julia. Like did that play in it all to him being able to like be more vulnerable? Well, I mean, Mike, you can, you can tell me if you've ever felt differently, but my read on Penny 23 has always been that he's just the more emotionally available Penny yeah. because yeah. he's been through such tragedy that he's like, yeah. I don't have time to be distant yeah. in the way that I was before. Yeah. That and I don't think Julia would have put up with it. <laughs> True. Forty really died before he had to go through everything twenty three went through. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I was kind of just listening and nodding along as you were talking. Um, I completely agree. I think Penny giving that speech to Julia is up there. Like Penny's across the board are selfish until the very end until in which they are completely selfless Mm -hmm. and i think for 23 in this episode he's at that point right now with julia Mm -hmm. because he does understand how dangerous and how bad it can become for her Mm -hmm. and so it might have been a joke in earlier episodes to say like penny 23 would rather die before uh revealing his backstory (laughs) and like this is so that tests that yeah. and tests it honestly. Yeah. And it takes him till the end of the fucking episode to say it. Yeah. Like we gave him one thing we, I think we made a point to do yeah. was give him multiple chances throughout the episode yeah. to say what he says at the end and never letting him do it, never letting him do it, never letting him do it um, until he just absolutely, absolutely has to. Until finally Hyman convinces him. Well, yeah. that's in the edit yeah. too, though, right? Like all those reaction shots yeah. where, where like, you see Penny having some emotion that he's not conveying in those earlier parts of the episode when he's talking to Julia. And I, I really like that you brought up that conversation with Hyman because that, I think, is, uh, aside from uh, Fen standing up for herself, that is my favorite scene in this episode because... There's a real uniqueness to their relationship as travelers who've both kind of been raked over the coals as travelers. Like, they've both had these really weird um, and terrifying and uh, experiences that make them feel really trapped and out of place and, like, no one can understand them, and it's sort of true. And um, while Penny 40 and then Penny 23 do both manage to let their guard down and make friends with the rest of the Scooby gang, I think... Pennies also really understand what it's like to be on the outside. Um, and so, like, the two characters, when you put them together, and the two actors, too, I mean, they're both really great. Like, Arjun and Dustin are great together. There's a real vulnerability um, and sensitivity to that conversation and to their performance, but also in the writing of how um, they do connect on this level, this, like, subcutaneous level, I guess, <laughs> Um uh, and that connection allows them both to open up more, not just to each other, but like in their lives and, and to be a little more honest with themselves. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, another aspect of this, just from a practical standpoint is that Arjun as an actor, just really, really loves Dustin and loves working with him. Oh yeah. And we've so heard as, as <laughs> he texted we were, me at six forty-five in the morning about it. <laughs> <laughs> As we were breaking this episode, it was almost just like a little gift to Arjun 
knowing that this episode would not only be like you know to, to tell some very deep emotional things about his character but also get get to you know pull it out of him through a bunch of scenes with Dustin um it really was like a little bit of a love letter to Arjun knowing Aww. that he would you know do a great job at it and this would be something he would really love um so that that was kind of part of the motivation and it's been fun to like like magicians is definitely a show about outsiders and penny is the outsider of so a lot of times conversation about that feeling of like feeling on the outside of the group it's it can be tough to accomplish through the main group because even though they are you know outsiders in some senses some some of them are not all but like um Tandy's really the the vehicle the vessel like through which we can tell those stories of like the guy, the guy standing with his toe just inside the circle, but his heels on the outside, seeing like the sh- the shorthand he and Hyman have in the same way that like you guys, y'all were talking earlier about um, Katie and Alice, how they're like two completely different people who are going towards the same thing. Penny and Hyman yeah. are two people who are I don't know where they're both going towards, but they're both coming from the exact same place yeah. via totally separate paths mm. um and i i don't know about you but like i found like just writing him or writing those scenes between them there was like an emotional shorthand there where like we we found in this in that scene you're talking about the the last scene with them yeah. uh if i remember right our editing process was mainly about filling in some gaps because mm-hmm. when in our first drafts i think there was it was too easy to make such a shorthand that like they weren't really talking to each other. Yeah. It was just like that, a little words here and there, and so we had to go back in and you know just to make it make kind of like say it out sense. loud. Yeah, like you have to make it make sense. You and know? I think that it's also really, really, really easy to just give Dustin just pure jokes constantly. Yeah, totally, <laughs> because he's such a ludicrous character. Yeah. But and also like we couldn't do that without Arjun, who's the best straight man we've had. Mm-hmm. Like that's that's the, like watch the cuts and notice when you laugh. Mm-hmm. When you laugh is not when Hyman says something; it's the cut back to Penny. Right. That's when you laugh, and Arjun is so good about that um, in general, but especially with Dustin. But yeah, it's just. It's like, I mean, it's like a fucking buffet. (laughs) As a a writer writing the scripts and then later in post cutting the episodes, it's a, we could fill 44 minutes with ridiculous Hyman sentence, scowling Arjun look. (laughs) And it would be a blast. It wouldn't get much story progressed, but it would be so much fun. You know, I love seeing these two together again um since both dustin and arjun say that they're in a passionate love affair um (laughs) i just really like hyman though i think he's hilarious i'm glad to see him come back and like we've all already said multiple times in this episode dustin is just he has a very underrated talent he is so good at what he does i like to just i tell this to his face i'm like you are my muse dustin uh because (laughs) 
he was, he uh, when we were originally casting Hyman, he was a self-tape. So that means he sent in a video of his yeah. audition. So we didn't get to see him in the room, which was, it's kind of difficult sometimes because you don't get to actually like be there with the person uh, to get a sense for their personality, their their sort of vibe outside of their performance. But it was so instantly obvious that he was the right actor for the part. Uh, and then ever since then, I just keep trying to write him into things. And literally, we had the card that said Hyman gets his body back at the beginning, the first week of the writer's room for season five. And I had just gotten my episode assignment for directing, and I just took the card and I put it into the episode 511 slot. And I was like, <laughs> I don't care. Like, I don't give a fuck how we get there. Like, <laughs> this is happening. <laughs> and then things would shift and someone would like go and take that and put that card in a different episode, and I would just go take it and I'd just put it right back. <laughs> no. <laughs> so like, I think that hits on uh, something. I working on the script and the shooting and the cutting of this episode is the closest I've felt to film school since film school. Like in the sense of we're just having fucking fun. And we're doing it because, um, and I think with like, I think the fun of all the fun you guys talked about at the beginning of this podcast about like these people were back and this was fun and this was fun and this was fun was because we, and David specifically more than a collective, we really leaned into, let's just put all the shit we absolutely fucking love into an hour and like enjoy every ounce of it. And they like starting with the starting with stealing the Hyman card, but then adding in all the other characters, the embers, the umbers, um, yeah. keeping Finn in the episode for some reason. <laughs> that, was, that was the one regret, but you know, I think like the it is a job, so we do have to do some things we don't like. Yeah, there's some things that you but, have to do in uh, but we had like not a lot of adult supervision, I would say. <laughs> well. <laughs> That leads well into our next question because David, as Danny mentioned earlier in the podcast, you directed this episode, so you were the yes. adult supervision. I was. What, <laughs> <laughs> what was that like for you, and how did it like? Did it change anything about the way that you understood what you and Mike wrote together? Did it change your your sort of thinking about anything to be in the director's chair for it? Yeah, I mean, just you know, my personal yeah, journey. Your answers was like no. No, it didn't change anything. <laughs> I wanted to be a director before I wanted to be a writer. Really? And you so, never told me that. I, you were just drunk at the time, Brittany. <laughs> uh, I was there. I definitely told you. Take it back. But 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 really, I I did, and I wanted to uh, I wanted to find my way to directing, um, but in TV, writers they get more authorship over mm. the product, the final product. Because you're there all the time. You're there from the beginning until the end. You are there from the breaking of the story through all of the episodes, the writing, the production, and then in post. Um, and directors have to kind of move along. And so for me, this was just about kind of closing the creative loop a little bit, um, about getting to finish the thing that we start in the writer's room. Um, and because I got to know all the actors and all the crew and we had like a really good working relationship and I'd been to Vancouver to the set, you know, dozens of times and spent so much time there that, um, it just felt like, it felt like just a kind of continuation of what we were doing in the writer's room. 
there were a few things that I was like, oh, wow, this is way more work um, than I gave our directors credit for. <laughs> you know, it's like when you leave the set and then you go and you work for five more hours that night. Oh, other like, people's jobs are hard, I'd be, too. I'd be like, yeah. do you want to get a drink tonight? He'd be like, no, Brent, I have to work. I'm like, oh, okay. I have to, like, plan out every single thing that we're going to do tomorrow. Um, <laughs> and then me, the writer, would be like, yeah, and you're going under the fucking table. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it was it was a really great experience. It was a really satisfying, creative uh, chance to to finally like get to say you know I want this to be red and this to be blue and everything you know like everything is exactly the way that I wanted it to be and of course there's things that you don't have enough time or money or resources or whatever for um, but I thought that it was a, a delight from start to finish and I really did like Mike was saying before I got to kind of pick all the people that I was collaborating with because it is, you know, this is a team of hundreds of people working together. And so, you know, Mike, I, I got to pick Mike to co-write the episode with, and I got to, you know, I, I got to pick all the actors that we were working with and choose which stories I really wanted to focus on. Um, so I could not have had a, a better or more supported um, first shot at directing for the show. And it was the most stressful thing I've ever done in my entire life at the same time. <laughs> so I, I shadow David on this director, on this director, on this, on this episode. And so I feel like I have to say, and it's only because I've been drinking that I'm going to be nice. Like date working with David was the best. Like I was pre-rooting for him because I, he's my friend in real life and I've always get along with him on set and everything. So I was extra thinking to myself, oh my God, I hope he's not a terrible director because one, I'll be in denial. And two, I'm going to have to lie to his face about how well he's doing. Cause I was literally on set with him, like, you know, for 15 hours a day, driving to and from set, watching the prep, very, very creeping on him at every second I could possibly get. And, um, he nailed it. Like I had the best time. This was by far one of my favorite episodes. And part of it's cause Mike and David wrote it. And again, I'm a fan and just like being able to work with David, like he, he clearly cares so much. He understands these characters. He understands the story. He understands Fen. And I mean, I literally had, because some of the actors know that I'm friends with him and because I was shadowing him, quote, stalking him, um, <laughs> a, a lot of them came up to me during the episode and were like, Britt, David's really good. And I'm like, yeah, no, I know. I've already been in prep for all these weeks, so I already know that. <laughs> like, I literally had actors coming up to me, like, saying, like, how awesome he was. And Aww. so I'm just, I was so proud of him. And I'm just, Aww. I'm so happy with how the episode turned out. You really nailed it, David. Oh, well, and Brittany. the reason she said all that is because <laughs> we had a deal that I would keep all of her lines in the episode. And <laughs> say this. I'm going to now watch the episode while reading the script with it and seeing if you've got any of my lines out. <laughs> I don't think she's kidding. Well, Brittany, you kind of, you kind of stole my question, Brittany, which was that we, we were going to say that you shadowed him, um, but what made you interested in directing and what did it bring to your process as an actor? Oh, man. I, God, actors are the worst. That's what it brought to my process. We are the worst. Pain in the ass. Um, well, part of the reason why I wanted to shadow David too is because I'm really interesting, interested in producing. And I was like, oh, David writes, produces, and directs now. And so I thought it made a lot of sense to, to, to watch him and watch his process. And, um, man, it 
I remember when I asked to, to I, you have to get permission. So I asked um, to shadow David like months and months before we even started or whenever the directors were announced, I, I, I asked to shadow David and uh, I didn't get a response right away. So I texted David personally and was like, motherfucker, you better let me shadow you. <laughs> <laughs> um, but Very it was cool. cool. I, yeah, it was, it was, yeah, it was really respectful of his position as my boss. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it, I, I mean, it's funny. Cause like, I mean, I, I have been, I've been acting for literally 20 years. I've been acting since I was a little kid and I've spent a lot of time on sets and I've spent a lot of time, like probably annoyingly asking a lot of people on sets questions about their jobs and what they do and why they do it and how they do it. And this was a completely different experience. I've never actually this much time, like intimately watching a director and seeing their process and having them be so generous with answering all my, you know, incessant questions and directing is so much harder than I thought it was. There's so many more. It's just like a meeting of creative and technical that I, that I didn't even know. And, um, man, it made me have, I hope it made me, I mean, I feel like I'm pretty easy to work with. I hope it makes me even easier to work with in the future. Um, but I feel like I'm pretty low key, but, uh, (laughs) anyways, God, I sound like Fen right now. I'm asking for validation. You know, when the cat lady says last season, do you value yourself Fen? I feel that all the time, but as Brittany, but anyways, um, (laughs) why am I going on to the cat lady? It's because there's a cat because Danny's Uh, cat came into the screen. (laughs) His tail is just like this. Really. <laughs> you know, it was the like subconsciously. We don't really write Fen as Fen. We write Fen as Brittany anyway. <laughs> Dude, yeah, like seriously though, like when I came on to like third season, so it was my second season, and I would read the scripts and I'd think, hold on a second. It's almost like these writer people understand psychology and know me really well. Almost. <laughs> Almost. <laughs> well. <laughs> Emmy. Did I even answer your question or did yeah. I just go on a random no, you're good. unabashed praise of David? Ugh, and it's on Ugh. it's on tape. Gross. It's it's recorded. <laughs> what have I done? Oh, David will send know, it to you. You can make it your ringtone for Brittany. I will. I will. I'm gonna just text it to her. Uh, one thing I want to say before you guys move on is just that it was slightly crazy to hire me for this job in the first place. So I do have a lot of uh, gratitude for Sarah and John and Henry Aww. who let me do this crazy thing. And I'm, I'm glad they did. Aww. They are awesome. I love them. Well, Aww. I thought you were something nice about me. That wasn't fun at all. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, Brady said so many nice things about me. I should say something else about her. <laughs> All right. Moving slightly away from Brittany's ego, we're going to move into fashion. (laughs) And I want to start the segment by just noting that I'm pretty sure David is wearing his Todd Tuesday t-shirt, even though it's Monday. Oh, my God. I am. Nice. Good job, buddy. Um, But I do actually have a lot of fashion notes for this episode in a season where I feel like I haven't had that many. The first one is that I always love seeing Fen in Earth clothes because the stuff that she picks out for herself is always just, it's both comfortable and stylish. Um, and I think it like it really feels more like a true expression of her than a lot of the Florian garb does, which I think often feels like it's it's made for her and like she's being dressed up by uh, some idea of royalty. <laughs> Hold on. We're talking Hold about on. Fen, not Brittany, Brittany. <laughs> the princess clothes are absolutely an expression of me. <laughs> yes, of you, Brittany. <laughs> Fair enough. All right. Back to Fen. But I... 
like I really love everything that she wears in, on Earth, and I just think it right like it feels very uniquely her. Um, I would also really like Fen to be my personal shopper, um, Earth Fen to be my personal shopper. I feel like she does a really good job of that. So yeah, I'm pretty sure she's unemployed on Earth. Uh, I've never seen Fen do a single useful thing on Earth, so uh, yet to be seen. So she would love to be your personal shopper. She oh, she's and Todd are movie reviewers together. Oh. You're right, like we're right, Brittany. <laughs> I'm she is going curious. to utilize all of her talents to help out. <laughs> I'm actually curious, like, whose wardrobe did Fen steal up someone's closet? I mean, no. I think she, I mean, Fen loves going to the Square of Time, um, which I explicitly <laughs> call that uh, in real life as well. Um, no, I think Fen probably got some money shaped. In a type way, and went out and went and went shopping. You know what's funny? There's this one Earth Fen outfit um, that I've been wearing in the pa- in the past couple episodes, where it's like this uh, beige mesh shirt with right. a, with an olive skirt with one Fen's classic Earth belt, and I hated it at first. Like I'm normally really quiet about those things, but I kept calling it matronly, uh, very, very intentionally <laughs> to subconsciously get Mogli, our costume designer, who's brilliant, to change it. <laughs> and then she picked it, and then I fell in love with it. And a lot of people like that. So my matronly outfit is actually pretty cute. So, so apparently when- the what. <laughs> I was going to say that when we were prepping this episode, because Brittany was shadowing me, so she was in a bunch of meetings that normally the actors wouldn't be in. She was in the wardrobe meeting where we were talking about what she was going to wear in the previous episode, which we were still shooting at the time. And it was that matronly outfit, and she called it matronly. And so that is why why I had um, Umber call her. I went up to Nico and said, call her sweet matron of Fillory. Because it was scripted as something different. It was sweet maiden of Fillory. And I had to change the line on the day because you said that your clothes were matronly. That I, I just... That's why you changed it! Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's funny. When I was just watching... Cause- when I was just watching that episode with James, my real-life fiancé, um, James started <laughs> cracking up with that line, and I went, that's David Reed's fault. <laughs> <laughs> we also filmed a take where he said, sweet crone of filler. Oh, yes. So, like, <laughs> you got off the hook. <laughs> Did you come up with the sweet crone? Yeah, I, feel, I feel like this five years of their lives have just been a ploy to get um, to to <laughs> say as many insults about me as possible on air that will live forever. <laughs> <laughs> we were playing the long game. Brady, that's both very self-centered and completely accurate. Yeah, well, you're very insultable, you know, like you react well to it. Like when Ember says, my dear blinking idiot, and then you blink a lot. That uh, you directed me to do, which, by the way, did. was brilliant. <laughs> it was very were funny. You, were you trying to be like the blinking guy meme when you were doing it? That is, oh my goodness, that is my favorite meme of all. My second favorite meme is the Larry Larry David one, where he like considers two different alternatives. And my first favorite meme <laughs> is the blinking guy. I'm not even kidding. <laughs> I feel the need I to like point that out that she just said it was her favorite meme, and she referred to Larry David, which I think means that. Uh, the wine is working. <laughs> I just yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, hey! You cannot call out people for for missing their words. You do it all the time. Oh, of course I do. 
Of course I do. I can call them out because I invite, I invite the same criticism. Listen, it's better than the times that I'm completely sober and it's just me and myself saying things wrong with my literature degree. So I'm glad that it's the wine's fault now. (laughs) Well, my next fashion note, um, good Marina, aka. Please ask another question so we don't end on this. (laughs) Um, Good Marina, aka Lobotomy Jane, dresses so totally differently from bad Marina. She looks like a soccer mom, um, which works well with the whole church vibe, which I I honestly cannot imagine any version of Marina going to church, but it was a good line, so I forgive you. Uh, <laughs> but I do, I will say, I much prefer OG Marina, um, both in fashion and in uh, personality, so I'm looking forward to having her back now that Alice, as of the end of this episode, has removed that spell. Um, what did you think? Good Marina, bad Marina, which is the better fashion, Danny? Um, I prefer the regular Marina's wardrobe as well. Um, but my own fashion notes, Julia just looks so amazing in this episode. Like her Doesn't hair she is looks perfect. So beautiful this season. You're back to loving <gasps> <does>. Julia. <laughs> I loved her hair, her makeup, her dress. She looked awesome. But I'm pretty sure it's like also Stella's like actual pregnancy glow that just like helps it. It is. She definitely had a glow for sure. This <laughs> whole time we were with her, she was just like so happy and um, so just. So pregnant. So very <laughs> pregnant. Uh, she was, but like, it was extra beautiful this season. She it really was it was actually kind of delightful because, you know, like you said, I've got a million children. And so, you know, just remembering my own wife being pregnant and just, you know, like there's ups and downs with it. But Stella was clearly in one of the up phases of, of her pregnancy when we were shooting this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you can really tell she was very she was game for everything. And we had a delightful time. <laughs> yeah, I actually have a wine date with her, a virtual wine date after we finish this podcast tonight. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. She's not pregnant anymore, obviously. She's giving her. <laughs> uh, that's why we're having a wine date. Good clarification. <laughs> There's apparently a newly coined Japanese word for virtual uh, virtual drinking dates. It's uh, onnomi. So you're oh. going to have an onnomi with Stella. I'm going to onnomi with Stella. Yeah, <laughs> that is- I'm going to text her that. I'm going to be like, ready to all nom me? So my last fashion note, I really loved Hyman's outfits in this episode, but I kind of got to ask, where is he getting his clothes? Like, did he leave some outfits in the physical kid's cottage a oh. hundred years ago and somehow they're not well, mopping? I feel like you need, to, you need to pay slightly closer attention. All of his clothes, <laughs> all of his clothes are pennies. They're all out oh. of pennies. What? Penny I thought they were we'll throw on this is we'll throw on an accessory. Yeah. It's all pennies though. I thought it was Elliot's. Like it looked kind of like Elliot's clothes. You know, obviously, Hyman is way taller than Penny. I mean, Dustin is way taller than Hands are flooded for sure. (laughs) (laughs) They're all things that um, that are out of Penny's wardrobe that we Ah. kind of reworked in a mini way. I'm so glad I brought that up so you could correct me. I'm so glad that they just did Hymeny Way. <laughs> there was a whole discussion, costumes meeting about that specifically, of like that exact question you asked of where does he get clothes? Yeah. Was yeah. I present at that meeting? I mean, you were, you, you had to that go when to I was taking, taking the muscle relaxants. It's okay. We know what happened. <laughs> <laughs> I know when that happened. 
I injured my back. It was a prescription from my medical doctor, but I literally had to take a nap. Yeah. Was that really when that happened? Because I don't yeah, remember. It really this. was actually. That was then. That's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what I have for fashion. Um, so I'm going to move us to MVP since we have been giggling our way through this episode uh, and it's getting super long. Uh, <laughs> so MVP time. Danny, I know you had some thoughts about MVP, so I thought I would let you go first. Thanks. As per usual, these days it's almost impossible to pick an MVP. Stella and Arjun have some really deeply personal moments that they had to act out. And they were both so good in those moments. Brittany, you were fantastic as Finn in this episode. And I'm pretty sure Claire is going to give it to you. So I'm actually going to give it to Dustin because he just brought so much to the table with Hyman that I feel like I just, I can't give it to anybody else. Very solid. I totally support that. (laughs) I'm like, I already know who David's picking. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, I agree with you. There are so many great performances in this episode, but for me, the choice really did feel clear that my MVP has to go to Brittany. And I think so much of it is because you really rose to the challenge of per- portraying that like come to Jesus moment where she tells off Margot brilliantly. Because it would be so easy to just like take that over the top because it's been building for so long. But that she snaps in a way that feels really nuanced and very natural. It's like the final straw and just sort of resignation almost that they're not going to treat her with any respect. And so she just walks away from that. Um, And so I really, I really appreciated that. I thought it was a great performance. And um, partly because we have David and Mike here and partly because I know it'll get you a little Brittany. (laughs) I'm going to say, I think they can also take a little credit for having written that scene. No, I, I improv the whole thing. I improv the whole uh, series, actually, weirdly. <laughs> but no, I do think it was an amazing performance, and you should be very proud. I think it's uh, – I've loved seeing Fen grow, and I've loved seeing everything that you've done with her over the past few years, and I'm going to miss it. Thanks. Me too. <laughs> Who picks next? You, I think. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's funny. I, I actually was also going to give it to Mike and Dave. But then I was thinking to myself, Fen, it's the first episode. Well, first of all, I don't like them personally. As human beings. Um, so I was thinking, I was like, no, I need it. I want to give it to them. But then I thought, you know what? I am going to, because of the way that they so wonderfully wrote Fen and finally sticking up for herself, I am going to also, in Fen fashion, value herself and pick Fen. Uh, but also Mike and David. <laughs> <laughs> All righty. She's like, I might need a job in the future. <laughs> <laughs> well, David, who do you want to shout out? Uh, for me, this was uh, this was an episode that we could we literally could not have made without Corey Robson, who is our director of photography on um, well half the episodes of the show. We kind of do in every other thing. And as a writer who was directing for the first time, I mean, I've directed little dumb things before, uh, but not something of this scale. And so I didn't really know what I was doing. And uh, Corey is the kind of guy who you can really ask him to do anything. Um, You know, we truly improvised the entire sequence of Hyman touching things, just like me pointing at stuff and being like, set up one camera there. We had three cameras shooting that day. So I was like, set up one camera over there, set up another camera by the weasel thing on the wall, set up another (laughs) camera in the room, and then I'll figure out something for him to touch in there. And he was like, 
great, cool. Um, he's just very, very competent and sort of one of the unsung heroes of the show because, um, you know, especially as you kind of get further along in a series, the look of the show is established, but you still have to make every shot interesting and every episode kind of unique. And I would have completely fallen on my face uh, without him. So I, I really give a lot of credit to him. And I also want to, of course, shout out to Mike because he was the one who was standing next to me the whole time, making sure that things were good and made sense. Uh, and I, you know, also would have completely failed without him. <laughs> and I was like paying attention pretty much most of the time. Like I caught you a couple times paying attention. It was weird. One of the things, one of the, just to buttress the quarry praise, there were so many scenes that were filmed half during daylight and half at nighttime. Oh, yeah. You guys yeah. have no fucking idea. <laughs> you can't tell at all. Basically, any scene on a location with windows was both. Oh. And we cut in between, like, from a nighttime shot to a daytime shot to a nighttime shot to a daytime shot. You cannot tell. Um, so, yeah, props to Corey on that. Yeah, I think yeah. I want to give my MVP to Sean, Nico, and Dom. Yeah. Who all just had to undergo hours and hours and hours of prosthetic before even stepping foot or hoof on set. Um, they all they all have each costume has its own unique challenges. Like for the the Ram Gods, those guys are in I think six inch stiletto heels. Uh-huh. Wow! Oh yeah. my goodness! That stiletto hooves ripped their feet. Yeah, so stiletto hooves that just rip their feet apart because it's like stilettos that are not made for comfort. It's for made for putting hoof shit on top of. <laughs> and like Sean with the uh, uh, seraphing prosthetic, um, all his sweat from his forehead drains into his ear canal. that. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I'm like, I know I'm getting gross, but that's the point. Is like, those guys put up with that shit and turned in such great performances that I got to give my MVP there. Solid. Yeah, this was actually the most creatures we've ever had in one episode, which was crazy because we set out uh, very selfishly to write a very simple to produce episode so that I would look good. <laughs> I remember and, you talking about that. And then it ended up being incredibly complicated. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I think you were just preparing Dom for his next role in Star Trek Picard. Picard. Where he had to have, like... Yeah. <laughs> He's Mr. Vop, right? He is, I was yeah. so mad at him for not telling me about that. Because when we shot... I think he had already shot his Picard role when we shot this episode. Um, and he didn't mention it, and he knows that I'm like a huge Star Trek nerd. So anyway, I'll never. Forget, <laughs> didn't you but work also on I'll... Star Trek? Didn't I work on Star Trek? Yeah. How no? old do you think David is? <laughs> <laughs> no, no. What the heck did you? What? What am I thinking? I don't know what you're thinking, Brittany. I, think I never David, know what you're thinking. Oh, I think David looks terrible and is obviously very old, but that's besides <laughs> the point. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, okay. I'll ask you later the thing I'm thinking of. Yeah, okay. okay. <laughs> well, it was really, it was really nice to see the Ram Gods again. I've it missed was. them. And we also never really get to see Umber all that much in general, so it was yeah. cool to see him again. They're great. I love them. That's, I think, one of the sort of things that made me think earlier that this might be 
the end, the like last season, or at least might be that that you might be thinking it might be was just the number of guest stars who came back. Um, mm-hmm. But it's also just so pleasant. It's so pleasant to have everyone back and to get to see all these characters who we've missed. Um, and it really does do a good job of amping up the nostalgia right before you rip the show away from us. Thanks, guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, we definitely, you know, we didn't know for sure either way, yeah. but but we were definitely thinking this whole last season in the same way we think every season. We're like, you know, if we okay. can think of a crazy idea, we should use it right now. Don't save anything. Blow it all as soon as you think of it. Uh, but I just think of, like, somebody like Nico who plays Umber. He is a guy who has not been on the show for several years. Yeah. And then gets the script and then is asked to come in and say all this nonsense <laughs> like, which, which is, to him seems like nonsense because it's just it's just like without the context of having seen the of having been on the show for these last several years just like what is he talking about oh, David it's all nonsense That's what I was gonna say, even with the context <laughs> well I think it's time for final analysis uh, so we decided to stop grading you all because it was really awkward and also we were just giving you tens anyway um, so this season we're just kind of talking about like a summary of our feelings now that we've sort of gotten to talk about it out a little bit more so I really loved this episode like I said before um, I thought it was really balanced. I loved the that it was both serious and funny. I loved all the different plot lines. felt like everything was really rich. Um, and I feel like everyone's really going through it right now. Um, and, I mean, I think there's a lot of people who really like the, the funny episodes the best where things get blown up and there's, you know, crazy shenanigans. And those are fun, but I think for me, the episodes that are meatier where everyone is dealing with something emotional are the ones that, like, really stick with me. Um, and so, like, Alice, she's grappling with an injury that's forcing her to, like, accept being a B-plus magician and one who relies on other people. Um, Fen is taking charge of her life and her relationships in a new day, in a new way. And like you said, she's sort of taking responsibility for um, her feelings and how she interacts with other people in the world. Um, Josh and Margot are finding a way to have hard conversations and forgive each other. We didn't even talk about that, but I do like that they're getting back together. I feel like it was very well done. Um, also the eye and the Alka-Seltzer, um, very topically appropriate, good hygiene, good eyeball hygiene. Um, (laughs) and of course Hyman's back, which like it would be an A plus episode just for the montage of him fingering everything. Um, and for like finally getting to meet Marina's girlfriend, even, uh, yeah, like, no matter what. So I don't really have many notes for the episode. Um, the only things I wish are that, like, we had more time and could therefore go deeper on everything. But, you know, if only. <laughs> so that those are my thoughts. Did we say, I, I, I want to say one, one last thing. Uh, there's a line of Hyman's that Brittany wrote. Really? <gasps> Uh, which is when he is looking at his sandwich and and Penny runs up to him and he's like, you know, Penny's like, oh, we got to go do the thing. I'm sad about Julia. And uh, Hyman is talking about the sandwich. And he's like, did you know that you can buy pre-sliced bread now? Yes. It's the greatest yes. thing since I don't even know what. <laughs> that was a much dumber line in the script. And Brittany came up with that improv on the day and we filmed it and it's in the episode. Now that you say that, it really Aww. does sound like like something Fen would say. 
it's something Hyman would say. That's why it's so But it's like good. the way he does it, <laughs> the same way that you would have delivered it. I was so nervous to pitch that line to them. I was like, is this crossing a line? Is this inappropriate? Is this unprofessional? I was like, no, screw it. Just tell them. And then when you liked it, I was very, I was even more validated than when you liked it. It's my in the life. episode, dude. I know. I watched it. I specifically like, maybe fast forwarded a little bit. And I was, <laughs> I was like, they use my line. And when they use my line, I said, yeah, I, I screamed in my house. And I said, James, they used my line. <laughs> I'm a writer. <laughs> I also love when he kind of like is listening to the Julia Penny conversation. He's just like, "Oh shit!" Like I was just like, Dead. "He might be my favorite. He might be my favorite character." <laughs> it's pretty great. Yeah. Yeah. So, Danny, what's your final analysis? So, you know, I usually love everything that the writers do. So, don't hate me, but I don't like Marina's girlfriend. I really don't. Um, (laughs) People should definitely compromise in a relationship, but if you have to give up everything about who you are to be magically lobotomized, that's just not good, like, at all. So Marina needs to be with someone who accepts her for her. That's my two cents there. Um, But that was pretty much the only thing that I didn't like. I just just thought she was awful. Um, But... I've been waiting for so long, so she just wasn't who I expected. But mm. everything else I absolutely loved and adored. I had a good time. And I agree that Penny and Julia could have gone deeper, but there's always next episode. <laughs> That's what you said? Yes, keep watching. <laughs> so before we finish up this episode, which, uh, David, you are threatening to beat your record. Um, congratulations. <laughs> I didn't even talk that much, guys. <laughs> To be fair, there is three of us. That's true. Uh, and we're all pretty narcissistic, so it does check out. And a, and a little tipsy. Um, no. So when we found out that the show was ending, we found out right before the last episode that we recorded with Alex and Michael. And so we uh, wanted to sort of repeat what we did with them with you, which is, first of all, just to take a moment to thank you all on behalf of the fans for everything that you've done to make this show come to life. Because it has been such a big and wonderful part of our lives. I think fans in general, but also specifically me and Danny's lives. This has been a huge part of it for the last five years. And that is because of all of you. So, first of all, just, you know, thanks. Oh, cool. Thank you. Aww. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you guys for watching. I mean, we make these things literally just kind of imagining that someday someone, maybe one person... Two, three people will watch them. Um, so it's just, it's always so great to know that people not only watch it, but think about it critically and appreciate it, um, you know, to, to the level that you guys do, because otherwise it would feel silly that we spent so much time thinking about it ourselves. <laughs> hi, hi, Julian. Well, <laughs> so we also want to give you guys a chance. Um, to say what the show's meant to you. So, Brittany, why don't you start? Oh, yeah, pressure. Um, <laughs> you know, honestly, oh, no. Oh, God. Hold on, I don't want to cry. Having a script um, written for you sounds pretty good right now, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I will say, Brittany, we put you first because we thought you were the most likely to bring the waterworks, so. <laughs> well, mission accomplished, ladies. Um <laughs> 
you know, yeah. Oh, shoot. God, I'm trying. I'm really trying not to cry. Um, it, yeah. Uh, ugh, ugh. Okay. Um, you know, when I, when I was first cast on this show, it, it was right after the longest time in my career that I hadn't worked. I hadn't worked for about a year and a half. And that's very jarring. You started working professionally when you're 11 years old, and that's pretty much all you know um, your whole life. And um, when I got the call to be on this show, I couldn't have been more happy and grateful. I, my fr- my friend that I was with at the time, I literally ran up to her and said, I'm going to be a princess after I got off the <laughs> phone call with, I met with my agent. And... Um, and yeah, it really, it really changed my life. I was in this really weird place in my career and in my life, and uh, I, I truly could not have been more grateful. And I'm really not saying that. And like to see a character like Fen, who I, um, I've really, really grown to love and care about. After I found out the show had ended, the the first feeling that I felt was gratefulness. Like truly, I'm not just saying that. And then the thing that finally made me cry a little bit was thinking about that that Fen, it's the end of Fen and that I don't get to play Fen anymore. And, you know, these fictional characters only exist in, well, they exist in our hearts and our minds. Truly, though, they really do. But in my life, she only exists when I'm playing her on set and on screen. And it made me really sad that I that I would never be able to let Fen exist anymore. And that's probably what made me sad. Um, but that's really a testament to our writers and our producers and our directors that they brought a character to life so much for me that in my freaking two-decade career, I've never had this response to a career so viscerally. Um, and so it brings me back to my original feeling, which is gratefulness that I'm being put in a position that I'll miss a character so much. Um, but I've been so lucky, lucky to play for, you know, for almost half a decade. So ah, there it is. <laughs> David, what about you? What's, what's it meant to you to work on this show? Well, it's for sure the best job I've ever had, which <laughs> is, um, you know, I've worked on a lot of TV shows and a bunch of different capacities uh, and this is one that felt the most like a family and felt the most welcoming. And um, I had the most responsibility, which is, you know, at times terrifying, but also really, really great because it meant that people trusted me to bring, you know, all of myself to the show. And, you know, the people that we worked with uh, have really become a lot of my very best friends. And I mean, except Brittany. And <laughs> even Brittany, even Brittany. No. Uh, and it it it's really sad for me to just have to uh, imagine, you know, going and working somewhere else. Um, and I'm sure a lot of our paths will cross again. Um, and you know, we're actively trying to make our paths cross um, as much as we can, but. To me, the the biggest thing that happened on this show was I went from being, you know, what we call a baby writer, um, to to being a, a I guess a grown up writer, a, a full fledged executive uh, producer, writer and producer and director on the show, and I got to do I got to kind of flex all of those muscles and do all the all of all of the things, uh, and that was really great. You know, it's just a testament to the bosses, um, Sarah, John, and Henry, because they are people that believe that you can, you know, frankly, hand the keys to your teenager and say, like, go nuts. <laughs> and I think this episode in particular, 
<laughs> right. <laughs> they gave us the Subaru. Uh, <laughs> and this is an episode where it really was, you know, I started working for John as an assistant, um, you know, as a script coordinator uh, m- more years ago than I care to say. And Mike started. Well, I just dropped 20 years. You're not going to say yours. <laughs> <laughs> Some of us, Brittany, are smarter than that. No, um, it, was, it was like ten years ago. That no, was twelve years ago. It was in two thousand eight. I started working for John for the first time, and so, and then you know, Mike joined us as a starting as a writer's assistant, and now, and now look at us. It's crazy. Yeah, uh, if it's David crazy was a would, baby writer, I was a uh, tadpole, fetus. embryo writer, fetal writer. You're a fetus. <laughs> Well, Mike, what does the magicians mean to you? <laughs> um, I think if I have landed on any other fantasy or genre type show as a writer's assistant, um, that this conversation would not be happening. <laughs> I am not a fantasy guy. I'm not a genre guy. Like I didn't. You're a Cormac McCarthy guy. Uh, I remember that. <laughs> yeah. Like, I had almost no exposure to it before Magicians. Part of that is just my friend group growing up. Like, if your friend group isn't leaning that way, you don't lean that way. Um, And I just never found a particular appetite for it. But then, like, being in a position where my job is to write it, I found it really made me understand writing fundamentals in a way I would not have if I had landed on a show that directly aligned with like my preconceived tastes. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Like in, in a way, it there there was no option for me other than to understand it, appreciate it, learn it, learn and learn how much fun fantasy and genre writing can be. Like because that that was literally my job, and so because I didn't have the well of you know, sitting in the writer's room with eight, nine other writers who have two, three decades each, at least, of experience and love for this gigantic well of genre content, um, I definitely felt out of place. Like, as the guy who was a sports fan growing up in Texas, I instantly understood it was like to be... Uh, a genre-loving person growing up in Texas. Like, I don't know what these words people are saying. And, like, there's wars in in space and treks in space among the stars. I don't get it. Um, And so um, I think what magicians meant to me was just like a... It was like, oh, you want to be a writer? Well, write something you would never, ever ever touch and and also you have to do it well um and i think magicians was the was a great avenue for that for me because it's so character driven everything comes from a place of character and it was so much about the storytelling bones and the the pure fundamentals and like these are the levers of storytelling this is tension this is suspense this is romance and like learning when to pull each lever i think i learned those in a way in a very bare bones way 
Because I was so out of my element. So out of his element yeah. that he wrote far and away the most beloved episode of the entire series. <laughs> Three of five. Yes. yes. <laughs> it was a good you, one. You, you talented bastard, you. He is a oh, bastard. I think that's something that you and me, Brittany, can agree on, is that Mike is a bastard. <laughs> <laughs> well, on Cheers, that Dave. note... Thank you all for sharing with us. It's uh, been delightful doing these podcasts with you for years. Going to miss it a lot. Um, We're and miss it too, yo. Yeah, thank you for yeah, all your insightful. You. So, real quick, before we finish, yeah, um, yeah. like I do many times, I forgot my Skype password before logging <laughs> on to this. Yeah, and yeah, I had to reset my password. And I looked up and I've reset it three times in the past. And they're all exactly for these podcasts. (laughs) So, one, I need a password manager. Two, it was a beautiful, uh, but like the text history from whatever phone number Skype texts from for password resets is a nice little time capsule for like all the times we've talked. And I really uh, treasured that. Aww. That's cute. Well, we treasure you too. Well, some um, of us do. (laughs) We treasure all of you. (laughs) Records went to Clara and Danny. (laughs) Uh, I also treasure Clara and Danny. (laughs) (laughs) Well, on that note, I think we have reached the end of our time. Um, Brittany, David, Mike, thank you so much for being here today. Um, it's just been delightful. I think we didn't quite break your record. Don't try, David. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to go listen to this podcast, by the way. I cannot wait to pick up all the things David said. Um, and, and, I'm just kidding. He's very well and intelligent. Go on. <laughs> uh, listeners, thank you for joining us. Uh, if you like what you heard, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you go to listen to your podcasts for the, I don't know, six or so episodes we'll do uh, after this one. And um, if you're feeling friendly, you can leave us a review. Blah, 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 blah. None of this matters. Wash your hands. Bye. Happy quarantine, y'all. Thanks, guys. Bye. Awesome. Mind slide. You're going to edit it out when we sound like idiots, right? Grown boy. Danny turned into a cat. Buckle up, ladies and gentlemen. It's an actual thing. Why does she always say that? It's just you guys. It's not a car. We're like a hate thruple. You sound like a pirate. Spoiler. Jumpy, jumpy, jumpy. You just cut out what's inappropriate.